Welcome to Money Making Conversations. It's the show that shares the secrets of success experienced firsthand by marketing and branding expert Rashawn McDonald. I will know. He's given me advice on many occasions, and in case you didn't notice, I'm not broke. You know he'll be interviewing celebrity CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. It's what he likes to do. It's what he likes to share. Now it's time to hear from my man, Rashawn McDonald. Money Making Conversations. Here we go. Absolutely. Money Making Conversations with Sean McDonald, a show for our listeners to communicate their, their thoughts, their thoughts about uh, being successful. Everybody's not successful the way they want to be successful. That's why I put this show out here on a weekly basis via podcast, SiriusXM, uh, syndicated radio, terrestrial radio. Um, each Money Making Conversation radio talk show or podcast is about entrepreneurship and entertainment. I provide the consumer and uh, business owner access to celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. These guests, in turn, uh, deliver information about their careers, how their planning process, their motivation, um, ups and down motivation, financial literacy, and how they lead a balanced life, which is very important. As you drive to be successful, slow down and remember there are other important people in your life that need to hear from you on a regular basis. Maintain that emotional connection is very important. My next guest is on the phone is uh, Cameron Kirkland, also known as Cam Kirk. He has been impacting music through his creativity, being behind the scenes and behind the camera. While in Atlanta, his passion for photography and videography has allowed him to produce work for Young Jeezy, T.I., Bun B, Tank, Schoolboy Q, Monica, 2 Chains, Future, Gucci Mane, Young Thug, and many, many more. His work has been recognized and published in Spin Magazine, Vice Magazine, Complex Magazine, The Source, Pitchfork, and many, many more. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, Cam Kirk. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. All right, my friend. Uh, did I leave anything out there, Cam? Because, you know, you got a lot to offer, my brother. You got a lot to offer. <laughs> yeah, nah, definitely. That that definitely covers a lot of my photography career. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean? Got to update the bio to cover a little more of the entrepreneurial work I've been doing on the business side. But you know, that was definitely a great intro, man. I appreciate that. Well, let's get into the entrepreneurship. This is Money Making Conversations. It's about entrepreneurship. Let's get into that. We're going to... I got a range of questions here, and uh, they send in questions. I then I try to do my research about it, but but a couple of questions I wanted to uh, start out with. When you said just to definitely discover, just definitely handled your photography side, your videography side, you got a lot of more entrepreneurial things. How do you make money, Cam Kirk? How do you make money? Wow, that's a very complex question, but I'll try to give it to you as simple as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I make money a number of different ways. I make money, obviously, off the service that I provide to right. mm-hmm. and artists, which is uh, directly my photography service. Sometimes can lead into creative direction. Sometimes can lead into videography. Right. Um, I also make money off the brand that is Cam Kirk, and I do that through a number of different ways. Everything from merchandise. I sell merch that... Um, People that follow me, people that are, you know, following my movement can actually use purchase and support and wear. Right. I also um, get paid for endorsements or appearances. Um, right now I have an endorsement deal with uh, Panar Ricard, the liquor brand that houses Jameson, Avion, and Martel Cognac. Mm-hmm. Um, I get paid to appear at events. Um, I've done that a number of times where a brand will pay for my presence 
um, at an event to kind of recap on my social media what the experience was like. I get paid to post on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, I've gotten paid to uh, <laughs> curate events um, and actually put together guest lists and right, put together right. really cool type of lifestyle events hey, Cam, for Atlanta. Hey, Cam, now, you know, I, I feel like I'm talking to a celebrity, man. You know, I, I, I see all this, 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 this behind the scenes now. When did you run in front of the scene? Okay, did social media do that for you? Or or when did you, you're a good-looking guy, you're tall, so you have a natural presence about you. But to hear, I am almost, almost feel like I'm talking to a music DJ or something like that. The way you're, and that's, that's the approach. That's actually um, was my strategy as a, as a photographer, was to actually brand myself as a musician or as a music artist. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, my, my philosophy is it's all art. We're all artists. Right. So why is it that, you know, one art form should get more recognition or be frontline more than the other? Right. So it was about 2015 when I realized I wanted to take my life and my career and my own destiny. Right. Working for musicians, you always come second to the musician. The musician runs the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not until you can establish your own voice and your own following that you can even compete in that lane. So around 2015, I realized I didn't want anybody you know, being able to control how much money I made or what I did today or what I did tomorrow. I wanted to be in control of my own destiny. So I, I took a little bit of the formula I learned from working with music artists and applied it to myself as a musician. And social media was definitely a driving force for that because it, it gave it gives all of us that opportunity to do the same, no matter what career path or career choice you're in. You can actually get credit for the work you do and you can actually build a following based off your vision whether you're a nurse, a doctor, a lawyer, or, or a rapper, you know you can you can uh, put out there into the world your accomplishments, your wins, your work, and people can grow a following to it if they like and if they're inspired by what you're doing. And that's what I've been doing over the last, you know, really throughout my career, but more specifically and more like strategy-wise over the last four or five years of my career. Very smart, very smart. And because I always tell people, if you have social media. You are you're, you're a small business. You're an entrepreneur mm-hmm. because you now you can promote your brand. And I tell everybody, basically, we live it in the Muhammad Ali era when you tell everybody you are the greatest, and that's what social yep. media is all about. Yep, and getting people to believe it now. And backing up <laughs> because it's really cool when I when I talk about when I listened to when I was reading about you and uh, looking at your style. You know, you got that swag about you, it's the coolness about you. You know, these are compliments that I'm. That I'm laying down on you. Then when I hear you talk about, I, I sell. I got, I got items you can buy about me, T-shirts and all that. You know, you don't hear photographers or cameramen or or videographers talking about. I got swag you can buy, or merchandise yeah. you can purchase, or follow me because of the fact this it feels. The, so, so I'm assuming then, Cam Kirk, you have a personality, then, my friend. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it's about being confident in myself uh-huh. and confident in the work that I do. Uh-huh. And uh, you know, I I do lead. I tend to lead forward the work first, right? And I think that that was established. You know, a following behind my brand and behind my name, right? Um, so the work the work always speaks before I speak. But you know, I'm definitely able to articulate myself and present my ideas. In an effective way where, you know, people people tend to like what I have to say and like what I have going on. So it all works out. Right. Now, you're my first official photographer I've had, I've interviewed on the show. 
And um, oh. going all the way back to my life in my high school days, you know, young college days. And, you know, I had to, I, I had my little 35 millimeter. I had my okay. Kodak Tri-X film, you know, 400 okay. out there, you know, black and white, grainy, going in that dark room, getting up my developer rolling, <laughs> feeling like a, a, a secret agent, putting it in that stop yeah. bath, then putting it in that fixer. Are you all digital or do you use film at all? I, I experiment with film every now and then. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely built um, my style off digital. Right, right. But sometimes it's very fun to go back and, and play around with some film styles. It, it's something about film that really creates an emotional connection to the work that you create because of the process. And um, it, it's just not so instant. It's not so instant. Sometimes that instant gratification can make you less grateful for the work and less grateful for the art form. So so with this whole process of, of, of how you're approaching the collective gallery, talk to us about that. <clears throat> yeah, so I like to say I'm, I'm, I'm the non-traditional photographer. My whole career <laughs> uh-huh. getting into photography has been non-traditional. So I don't, I don't operate with limitations. So I don't operate with the mindset of, oh, this is what a photographer is supposed to do or a, a photographer does this or does that. I I kind of make my own rules up. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Collective Gallery is another extension of that push that I'm trying to do where, you know, my goal is to just even the playing field across all creative mediums and all creative forms and, you know, get people to understand that hip-hop and pop culture, you know, we play a major role in that. We play a major role in the way that fans engage with their favorite artists, their favorite actors, or whatever. It, it all comes through our lenses, and it all comes through our vision. And I think it's important. I think it's, it's a time where, you know, the industry as a whole starts to actually support and provide more resources for these content creators. I mean, I say it all the time, like me as a, my career, I've had to be 100% self-funded. You know, there, there's no... There's no company I can run to and show them my portfolio and say, give me, you know, a million dollar record deal and let me let me um, do five more projects like this, you know, on your dollar and you guys help blow my career up. Right. A lot of what I've had to do is had to be really out the mud doing it myself. Mm-hmm. And at this point in time, you know, judging off my career and other photographers alike like me that have been able to kind of navigate in this world and build a following and monetize their craft in all these different ways. I just feel like it's time for the, the industry as a whole to realize, like, it's great to have your musician, but you should also think about other aspects of the culture and other aspects of the industry that you guys can take and monetize and put on a scale and, and invest in, invest in these ideas, invest in these other creatives right. and expand your mediums that you offer and that you, that you support and provide for. So, so that's what meantime, so I'm was, gonna just do it myself. So was that why the, the why you created Camp Kirk Studios? Yeah, Camp Kirk Studios was like the the building block that led me to Collective Gallery. But you know, a lot of what I do is built upon you know passing back the torch or, or passing back um, resources that I've gained along the way. So when I was coming up through photography, I didn't have a home studio that I could use or and learn from, get through workshops or go to that had affordable, even free, um, free uh, rental slots or Mm -hmm. just a community that can come together and support each other. And 
I can bounce ideas and say, how do you guys like this photo? Or do you like this? Or what should you do? And just learn new techniques that didn't really exist when I was coming up. Mm -hmm. So it was important for me to take a lot of the resources, a lot of the network, a lot of the the things I've learned along the way, bottle it up and put it into a a brick-and-mortar facility where kids following in my footsteps can actually come to and experience some of those same things that I've, I've learned and actually, you know, grow their craft and sustain the actual industry of photography. So it's that, the mission that I'm on is much deeper than myself. Like, I have a goal in mind where I want a third grade kid in school to raise his hand and say, I want to be a photographer one day <laughs> and that not. not to be crazy. I don't want to want to look at them and say, what? That's not a job. No. Okay. I see that. That's a real career path. You can do this, this, and this with that. And, you know, that's the mission that I'm kind of on specifically within the black community mm-hmm. and allowing us to understand the value in documenting and telling our own stories, creating our own content and owning our own content and, you know, being able to control our own narrative. And a lot of that starts with the work we do behind the camera. No, it's really, uh, uh, Camp Kirk Studios is a studio that's fully equipped with professional lighting equipment, a natural light studio, backdrop options, changing areas, and Wi-Fi. So this is a studio where, do you do you do photo shoots over there, or these are individuals could, like, rent different areas where they can bring in a potential business to do photo shoots? Yeah, it's a space for for photographers and other content creators to rent out. So we're specifically a facility, you know, of sorts, and photographers all around and even businesses of all around. We've had everyone from Nike to Adidas to Puma to Forbes to so many, you know, companies actually use our facility <laughs> awesome. um, to create work. Don't stop doing what you're doing, and you, I will have my staff call you, and I'm going to set up a photo shoot at your place, Okay. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. I appreciate you, my friend. This is Cam Kirk. We'll be right back with more from Rashawn McDonald and Money Making Conversations. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Tasha Evans, and I love to eat at great restaurants. And more than that, I love great desserts. So does Rashawn McDonald. Check out his new website. That's www.rashawnmcdonald.com. That's R-U-S-H-I-O-N, and McDonald is spelled just like the famous restaurant chain. Guys, Rashawn is looking for great bakers for his baker spotlight. He wants to brag on his fans for their incredible baking skills on his social media and website. That can be your mom, friend, coworker, or relative. Spread the word today. As host of Money Making Conversations, Rashawn McDonald is uniquely positioned to provide a step-by-step, easy-to-understand blueprint that drives listeners to realize their dreams and aspirations. Until you do the business plan or incorporate or actually create that product or start selling products, The universe doesn't have to deal with you. Money Making Conversations is an innovative platform that delivers financial literacy to help everyone with their brand success. It's good to have a Money Making Conversation with somebody that make money. (laughs) My next guest began his career. I've long known this brother a long time. On daytime soap operas, these type of soap opera stars on uh, As the World Turns and All My Children before his roles in many, many Tyler Perry productions such as uh, Why Did I Get Married? Why Did I Get Married 2? And Meet the Browns. He was doing comedy, funny dude, dramatic dude. He can do it all. Right now he's doing a drama role, a dramatic role. He now portrays Jacob Greenleaf, son of the powerful Greenleaf family, on OWN's exciting new drama series, Greenleaf. I know because I catch it. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, Lamont Rucker. 
What's going on? What's up? What's up? How you be? I am very good, my friend. I am very good. I'm so excited to have you on my show, Money Making Conversation. Mr. Rucker, yeah, I say, Mr. Rucker. Good to hear your voice, brother. Good Life to hear is your good. Voice, as always. Um, you know, the thing about it, I had Lynn Whitfield on the show, and um, and we were talking about her career. We also spent a lot of time on this exciting show, Greenleaf. Before we get into detail, let me just tell anybody who, are not, who is not familiar with the series, let me just give you a brief synopsis of Greenleaf. The Greenleaf family is a powerful, powerful struggle with the control of the church. Because right now in the series, uh, 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 I must just say a, a white company, a church company, has bought this black church, okay? And now he's he, having issues because there's a power struggle because he has a lot of undermining actions that he want to do with the church. But also you have all these political fashions or these emotional people tied to the church, the, the dean, the deacons, the, all these people in the church. And it's very, very uh, soap opera-ish. What's going on? And then now my man Jacob, his character is played by Mr. Rucker. He's one of the, he's the son of the, of the father who's no longer preaching because now the daughter's the preacher. And Jacob, he actually wants to be the preacher. But he, he, he ain't done a lot of little iffy things on the side because he has a crazy wife. I'm going to say the word crazy because, um, because <laughs> she does things on the show that, that makes me like want to just reach through the screen and strangle her. Like uh, when she knew, when she knew that 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 they were buying the property that y'all were selling, and she signed that deed anyway. Oh my God, Jacob, how are you married to this? Oh, yeah. How are you married to this woman, dude? Carissa, how you, you know married? what? No, no, like, no. like most people, like most people try to do, but there's, there's actually relevance in what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna blame it on my mama, you know. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> But no, I mean, in all in all seriousness, I think one of the things about our family and about um, I think many families is really kind of is tracking the the patterns, right? Right, um, right. I think one of the things our show deals with is is um, are the good and bad things. I mean, you see how much beauty and brilliance and um, and and boldness and uh, creativity and leadership and you know majesty. There's all these wonderful things about our families, again, that has also come down to the ages, that my parents are exemplary examples of. They're just the same. They're human. They're flawed. They got issues. They have, you know, their own um, challenges and their own issues within themselves and within their, within their marriage, right? Right, so right. Stuff, we got a lot of mess that's been handed down. And one of the ways that I constructed my character, mm-hmm. you know, Jacob Greenleaf, is that my mother and father have so much control over me right. that a lot of what you see Jacob's um, going through is a result of his inability to do things for himself. Correct. Um, at the same time, it's not about if he doesn't like the desire to want to do things for himself, but he doesn't have often the confidence, he doesn't have the skills, nor is he often given the space, the authority, and the opportunity to show what he's made of. So... As long as he's been a mama's boy, mm-hmm. his mama's been telling him what to do, has been taking him by the hand, has been holding him back even yes. from growing and flying and becoming this, you know, incredibly strong, self-sufficient man. And I believe that one of the decisions that she also made for him was choosing his wife. So he didn't get a chance to be, you know, like uh, 
Prince Akeem and coming to America. You right, know, right, right. Say, hey, right. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out here, be in the world. I'm going to sow my oats. I'm going to just have a good time, whatever it is. She wouldn't let him do that. Instead, she held him back. And she's like, no, you ain't going to be out there running around. It's funny because in a recent episode, she literally said, She says that. I want my son in my house. She says she that to James. Specifically said those, yeah. She specifically said those words. That's mm-hmm. right. So that's how my mother is. That's her relationship with her son, which has its issues, you know, connected to her relationship with the men in her life. With Absolutely. her husband, my mm-hmm. father, with her father. So a lot of what she's clinging to is what she didn't have. She's protective over him. Right. But also you got to think about the fact that once Grace leaves, you know, now she's starting to cover her children in a different kind of way because she didn't already lost one. Right. She didn't want to lose her baby boy out in the world either. And you know how mothers are, right. especially church mothers, right? right. She's like, uh-oh, you ain't going to be out here being a little freak, mm-hmm. running around, messing with all these little girls, right. and don't be bringing her babies back in here. Right. So, you know, it's all of that. So what people sometimes think is preventive from you falling in a hole or falling into any traps, unfortunately, ends up creating holes and traps of their own. And here he is, trapped, stuck in this marriage. He really ain't got no business being in. He loves his children, right. but that is not a healthy marriage. And if it was up to him entirely, I believe he would have never been married or to her, and he wouldn't be married yet. But maybe he might be married somewhere, you know, within this last, you know, 20 years almost. The thing I love about the show is that every, every, everything is starting to come down. You know, Noah's coming in from Denver. He's coming down there. And then, and then, uh, I believe it's AJ, the, her, 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 would you say bastard son, or illegitimate son, or just a son that was? Yeah, that she, illegitimate. He has a father, so he's not a bastard, but right. he's definitely illegitimate. Right. You know? and, and so he and crazy that uh, Noah didn't even know. Woo, woo! And so he's gonna come down there, and then you have you have a, but it's it's the the beauty of good writing, good acting is that. It gives me an emotional wave. And I'm just letting everybody, we're talking to Lamar Rucker, one of the stars of the Greenleaf. His character is Jacob. Uh, if you, you, can get, you can go to OWN Network, the, the, the website, and you get caught up on past episodes. So you, won't, so you can get caught up where I'm at. You know, this show should be watched on a weekly basis. You bend yourself to get caught up. That's how much I enjoy this show. I enjoy the show because, because of, I enjoy the show because I, I look at a character like Phil, who makes me mad. Charity, who is his sister, she annoys me, you know, because, you know, she she's the least talented of the family members, but she wants the most, okay? But So she's manipulative <laughs> and sneaky, okay? And then you have Jacob's character, who I don't, I don't feel you have an agenda. I just feel that you just get caught up in everybody else's mess, you know, Dante's mess, you know. You know, his, he, you know, he's just trying to get this young basketball player to get his life right. Then all of a sudden, you can't get, you can't get a fool straight. You know what I'm saying? And but you took that because guess what? You needed it because your wife was putting pressure on you and wouldn't allow you to make decisions at your pace. And I think that's your life. That's your character. You've never been allowed to live your life at your pace. You must, you nailed it, man. You nailed it, brother. I'm telling you that's and and I and I love that. I love that you understand that because that's really a big part of what I've been trying to do with Jacob is just make him a man that real men understand and allow his journey and his issues and his triumphs as well as his trials and tribulations 
could be real, real life, because what these people are are just they're real people. This is a real family. Just because they're wealthy and powerful and all this kind of stuff and, and popular doesn't mean that they're not just real people. So I wanted to show this real man who used to be a little boy, just like the rest of us, mm-hmm. you know, trying to find, not only find his way, but find himself. And in the process of doing that, not only does he slip and trip and fall, but things happen to him that aren't always his fault, but again, because of his inability to have learned to be self-sufficient, right. you know, in a more significant way, mm-hmm. at his age, he's still not able really to problem solve and adapt and come out on top as, as much uh, as he as he should, or as as well as frequently as he should, you know, in my opinion. Absolutely. You know, um, and it's tough not to judge. So what I want to do is always show us, like, um, standing right. That's why I came up with the hashtag Pray for Jacob, because it's not about pity, but mm-hmm. it is about let's stand behind him, let's pray for him, let's, let's like, encourage him to grow and evolve and move forward, mm-hmm. and let's also accept him as he is. Because there's a whole lot of men you and I know well. Absolutely. That try to act like they got it going on way more than they actually have it going on. Mm-hmm. And now we get the opportunity to look behind the veil and see what's really going on. Absolutely. That, that's why I love the character. That's why I love the character. Like he would have it all together. Yeah, I, you know I love I mean? the character. There's no reason why he shouldn't have it all together. You know, it plays out itself in a, in a big way in so many uh, layers. And like I said earlier about the show, it's 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 just it's a, just a dynamic cast of, of, of people that you're familiar with, uh, that, that, that that great writing allow you guys to, to – and I think any great show, and I'm going to put the word great on this because I enjoy it. I remember the character. They're so uh, uh, fleshed out, so so detailed, so so personable. So when you, when you look at the show – in the, in the life of the show, and like I said, you know, it, it, this last episode ended when she said, when you know, when Grace was talking to Lady May. Lady May is played by Lynn Whitfield, who is the the lead dominant voice. This is a female driven show, by the way, because everything arcs through right now, currently arcs through these through the women of the show and how they are very manipulative, how they are right. controlling, how they really. I, I remember like Carissa and uh, and Lady May actually got in a little fight, almost like a little fight. Going on, everybody's about to go, right. go to blows, and then, uh, then, uh, know, right? and then the bishop walked in the room, and and then Lady May go, shut up, don't you act like nothing went down wrong, and then he goes, oh y'all having a good time, and then Carissa had to bow down to Lady May, and then Carissa because Carissa That's thinks right. she's about to move out, but the la- one of the last lines in the series because Carissa came there really to talk lip, hey I'm out, don't need you no more Lady May, I got me and my man, we gone, I'm tired right. of you, and then. And then she counted her chickens before they hatched. Oh my god! She had that winning lottery ticket and went back to her job, you know, and showed up behind everybody, only to find out she got one of the numbers wrong on the scratch off. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way. Win. That's a good way not to tell it because I want people to watch the show. I don't want to give away great parts of the show because it's very good. Yeah. I'm talking to my man, Mr. Rucker. He's my boy. Been knowing him for many years. Lamont, I got to get you back on the show to talk about your 10 year anniversary. But we spent all our time talking about this great show. Please, please come back on the show. Ten years coming up. You know what you mean to me. You know what you stand for. Let's keep telling the world how great you are, man. Hey, I appreciate it. And right back at you, man. Continue blessings and, you know, uh, magnificence to you too, man. You know, love what you're doing. And, um, you know, can't wait to uh, see you do even more and watch what you're doing. Continue to grow and evolve, man. You know. Tell Lady May I say hi. Tell Phil he's a lackey. (laughs) 
We'll be right back with more from Rashawn McDonald and Money Making Conversations. Don't touch that dial. Money Making Conversations continues online at www.moneymakingconversations.com and follow Money Making Conversations on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It's been a hunt. It's been a 10-month hunt. But I finally got my next guest on the show. She is an American comedian. That's what the... I, I went to Wikipedia. That's what they said. American comedian. That's how you know you're in Wikipedia. You know you got a Wikipedia intro when you say American comedian. Actress, disc jockey, recording artist, producer, writer, writer and radio personality. Her career is on fire. If I've been trying to get her since January, her career is on fire. You may recognize her as the character Tiffany from the popular HBO series Insecure or her HBO stand-up special I Be Knowing or as the host of NBC stand-up comedy show competition, Bring the Funny. She is on the show today to talk about her new book, Small Doses. Got it in my hand right now. Potent Truths, Everyday Use. The book engages, empowers, and enlightens readers on how to find their truths while still finding the funny. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, Amanda Seals. Hi. Thanks for having me. Well, first of all, what you're not going to do to me, Amanda, it was that little, that little low-key person. Now, I've read this book. I've seen you on stage. Got to bring the fire on my I've been, show. I've been up since 5 a.m. Oh, oh, it's the up. It's the up story. It's been the up story. Now, let's talk about this I book. I have already shot an entire TV show. Oh, good. good. That means, that means you, you're earning your money, and now we're going to promote. Now, this book, I'm going to just tell you. First of all, out of the blue, let me just talk about how you came into my life, okay? And, okay. And, um. I always kind of knew about you. People have told me. I, I keep my hand, my tentacles out there about who's funny. But I'm always searching for the, the funny female that has a story to talk. And so I'm sitting at the house just going through, scanning through, and, then, and I'm just scanning. I always go to 501 on DirecTV. 501 is HBO. For some reason, I always go to 501. So on this night, 501, boom, I see a young lady on stage. She has these little interesting clothes she has on, like little striped lines going up and down and you know and she's on she has her hair pulled back and and she has a crowd and and she's they, they laughing they're funny and he was like I, I go okay, let me stick around and just listen to what she has to say dynamic uh i would she does she 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 does jokes i would never even think of doing that's always a, a testament that you're that you're doing something uniquely funny and you're gifted she, she was doing humor that first of all it was female humor so i would never do some of her jokes were female driven but again, the direction of thought, I would never do it. And so I started trying to get her on my show, Money Making Conversations. So then Jesse Collins came onto my show. He was promoting American Soul. Okay. During the middle of his interview, okay. I brought up your name. Okay. And then because at the end of the show, Jesse Collins' name pops up. Okay. So I knew he had to connect with her. So I said, Jesse, I got to get on my show. Okay, Rashawn. Okay, Rashawn. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. So I'm still on the search. To get Amanda Seals on my show. Then all, <laughs> then all of a sudden, the, the NBC competition show come out. I got people that know me in NBC Uni. You know, I'm a baller. I got people at NBC Uni. I call oh, over man. there. I, I need to get Amanda Seals. Oh, Rashawn, we got you covered. Nothing. No. Finally, her book come out. I said, look, y'all. Amanda <laughs> Seals has a book coming out called Small Doses, Potent Truths for Everyday Use. Y'all, I'm firing people now. I'm firing people now if I don't get Amanda on my show. Guess what? 
If I knew I had to threaten him like that way back in January, we wouldn't even be having this conversation right now, Amanda. Welcome to Money Making Welcome to Money Making Conversation, and I'm your host, Rashawn McDonald. And how are you doing today, Miss Overwork, Miss On Fire, Miss Funny? How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you, Rashawn. I'm glad we finally made this happen. I didn't realize there was such a journey, but I, I, I mean, your persistence is, I, I just, I really am flattered by it. So thank you. Well, the thing about it is that it, it, it's when you see something special and you see something unique and you see something groundbreaking, that's, all those terms are, are associated with you. Let's talk about your whole perspective on stand-up. How did you get into being a stand-up comic? Um, in 2013, I found myself at a crossroads. And I talk about this in the book. Um, yes, you do. Where I really had, like, I've been an MTV VJ. I've been a pretty well-known spoken word poet. I had been hosting uh, different shows and doing radio. And so I had a lot under my belt in terms of just different trajectories. Mm -hmm. And it kind of had gotten confusing for people where folks just didn't know how to classify me. And, you know, we just live in, we live in a world where people want to be able to like fit you in a a particular space. And so it was like, I, I felt that people were essentially considering me as somebody who does a lot which kind of ends up translating to, like, you do nothing. Right. And that was really problematic for me, and it just felt like I wasn't doing the best uh, economically with my time or my money right. in, the, in continuing to go in that direction. And so I started to consider, like, okay, well, what is the career that I want? You know, like, if, I, if, if, if people can't find the label for me, who do I feel like is similar to me in terms of their practice and in terms of their product? And what is the label that they have? Mm-hmm. And so when I started looking at folks, um, the people that really rang true for me were people like Chris Rock, Chelsea Handler, Ellen DeGeneres, simply because, not because we share the same voice, but because they had managed to create multimedia moguldom based on their unique points of view. Right. It wasn't necessarily based on them being producers or them being writers or them being directors. No, it was specifically based on first their point of view, and then branching out to do all of those things from that perspective. And when I looked at all the things that they were doing, writing, hosting, acting, the one thing they all could do that I couldn't do was stand-up comedy. Right. And so I realized in in that exploration, in that examination, that if I wanted to go into this space that they were, if I wanted to achieve in the way that they were, which is, you know, exactly what I wanted, I needed to, I needed to add stand-up comedy to my repertoire and it needed to not be just like a plug and play. It needed to be authentic and I needed to be genuinely good at it. And it was something I always knew was within me, but I just kind of never had really fully pursued it. And then once I put that out into the universe, it's like it kind of just manifested where about six months later, um, I was asked to be on a stand-up show because the host had thought I was already a stand-up comedian. She was a fan of mine from doing Talking Head stuff on VH1. Right. So I, I, I just took the leap. It was like, you know, being called to the altar kind of situation. And I took the leap, mm-hmm. and I did the show, and it went well, thank goodness. And so <laughs> I stuck with it. And, um, and so I just, but I came up through the ranks, and I didn't skip sets. I may have sped them up, but 
I, I didn't skip steps. You know, I took my, I, I did my, my dues took your in lumps. terms of mm-hmm. open mics. You know, I did Small my open mics mm-hmm. and I did my, my kind of, you know, struggling on these showcases and having to beg and, and barter and ask people to get on their journals and running around New York all times of night in the cold, you know, just trying to get five minutes here, having to hang mm-hmm. out, just hanging Been out. There. Hanging out, hoping that eventually Mm. they'll get on stage. You know, maybe somebody will drop out or maybe somebody will, you know, cancel or or maybe somebody just um, will be feeling benevolent that night and say, hey, what's just wrong? And so I just really, like, dug in. And and this thing that had always been in me, just it found its home. It was one quote when I was reading your book, the book we were discussing this, and I'm interviewing Amanda Sales. Her book is Small Doses, Potent Truths for Everyday Use. That really got to me. It was, I'm going to read the quote to you. I no longer dress based on how I want folks to see me, but how I want to see myself as art that elevates the vibrance in a room. And that, and that, and that, that whole reference to you came from the person who's styling you because you didn't understand where they were coming up with these clothes and they go in your closet and they walk out with this look that you would have never figured out. And I felt that well, that's how I am. I dress for Rashawn McDonald. I don't, I don't know how you... If you compliment me, cool. But this is how I felt like walking out of the house today. Work with that. Okay, now I know what mirrors are, so I know how to look in the mirror before I leave. So I know it's not crazy, but this is how I look. And so when I read that quote, it hit so home with me because of the fact that so many people are trying to be or look like something that they really aren't or what people expect them to be. But now you, Amanda, are who you are and you're proud of it and you're confident in that step, correct? Yeah, I mean, I think so much of that is just, like, maturity, mm-hmm. you know, and growth and just, like, time. Just just taking time to explore my art, to explore myself, to explore how the two intertwine. Right. Um, and I think a lot of us don't necessarily stop to do that because we're really so ambition-driven. Right. And it can feel like if I'm not consistently driving toward the goal um, that I'm, like, being lazy or I'm not on point or I'm not focused. And then sometimes you, but you kind of realize at a certain point, like, me looking inwards is also me driving towards the goal. Right, right. And, and I think a lot of us, like, continue to look outwards. And so, like, when it comes to style and when it came to, like, me just developing my style and having to really, like, learn how to just stand on, like, I'm not... I'm not trying to, like, get people to think a certain thing about me anymore. That actually does scare people, by the way. When people feel like you're not <laughs> trying to gain their favor, right? it does, it really does bother people. Like, I know it really bothers people that I am so unwavering about certain things, that I really don't care about their opinions, you know, and so it makes folks feel like they don't matter. And it's not to say that they don't matter. It's just to say that, <laughs> their insight and their input has to be earned. You had you know? to be hard their, to date, Amanda. Merit. You had to be hard to date. Were you were you guys, been hard to date? Yeah, guys. The guys struggle with that with that personality that you know they trying to figure you, you out. You mean because... with a smart, independent woman who knows herself and isn't looking to be led and guided? <laughs> Is that what you mean? See, I know her. I know. Her. I love her. I love her. I love her. I mean, if that's what you're referring to, I'm hard to every. I'm hard to anybody who doesn't understand how to be secure in themselves mm-hmm. at the same time as being selfless to someone else. And that's, that, that's you. 
And that's that's the part. That's what I see on stage. That's what I see. Come tell you something. Six years, for roughly six years, that path and this journey that you've achieved as a stand-up in six years is, is, is phenomenal. It's phenomenal. Thank you. And I and I am I am so like appreciative that just I mean it, it in in stand up time it's a meteoric ride. Oh absolutely right? like in because stand up time is much longer. Like for, for what it's worth, like I am very aware and I do not take it for granted at all that I've been so blessed in stand up so quickly. I think a lot of it is because by the time I got to stand up, I had already developed my voice. I was already comfortable with the stage and with the mic. So a lot of times, like, that's a big part of your development as a stand-up, you know, just being able to be comfortable on stage, being able to know how to feel a crowd. And because of my years hosting and DJing, mm -hmm. I already had that. Stage presence. Built in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's really key when you walk on the stage and you're able to examine the crowd. And that's really key when you walk on the stage, not bothered by the lights that can that can uh, block in your view. Not, nothing intimidates you. That stage presence is the key to how fast you will rise as a stand-up if you're not a gimmick act. Now, if you're a gimmick and you got some little character you're trying to pull off, no, she's going on stage being herself. When she walks on stage, I love. I like to believe the person I saw telling those jokes is the person I'm going to say hello when I walk off stage. And that yeah. that ability to be able to do that as fast as she's done it is is phenomenal. It's really impressive. It's a very funny book, Amanda. I, you know, I I, I hope I can get you back on the show. I, I I I'm running out of time. I wanted to break down very. I got so many pages folded in this book. But, <laughs> you know, like like I have well, long answers, so I apologize. I, I, I know you so you got long answers now. That's why I can't. That's why I can't. Questions. That's why I can't go into certain like white people stop doing this, black people stop doing this. Friends need to keep the drop. You know, it's uh, the story about the guy who took you to the hotel room and, you know, and, and, he, and you woke up and you knew y'all had, had sex and he didn't talk to you for a couple of weeks. And then you texted him. Then he had an attitude. It's so many great stories in this book that I want to talk to you about. First of all, you thank really read this book. I am so appreciative. Like, <laughs> listen. I really, really appreciate that. You really read this. Thank you. Well, I read the book because guess what? You're a talent, and I, it's a, it's a book. It's funny. It, it it's it's a it's, it's a book like I've never read. I've been fortunate in my life to have taken books to number one. I've been fortunate in my life to read books on a regular basis on my show, Money Making Conversation, for the last two years. This is a must read. It's a it's a colorful book. It has it has graphics in it. It's a book like its pages are pink, pages are brown. It's a book that you cannot go to a restaurant and read it. You have to read it in your house and enjoy it. And it's daylight. It's funny. But more importantly, you keep winning, Amanda. Thank you for taking the time to do my show. Know that Rashawn McDonald is a fan of yours. If you ever want to promote anything, come back on the show. Send me a social media post, and I will support you 100%. That's so, I just really appreciate you. And thank you again for working so hard at bringing me to the show and uh, really sticking with it. Because, I mean, that, that, that is noteworthy in itself. So thank you again, brother. And, and, and keep being that, that, that soul sister that tells the truth, okay? <laughs> hey, this is Tasha Evans, and I love to eat at great restaurants. And more than that, I love great desserts. So does Rashawn McDonald. Check out his new website. That's www.rashawnmcdonald.com. That's R-U-S-H-I-O-N, and McDonald is spelled just like the famous restaurant chain. Guys, Rashawn is looking for great bakers for his baker spotlight. He wants to brag on his fans for their incredible baking skills on his social media and website. That can be your mom, friend, coworker, or relative. Spread the word today. Visit rashawnmcdonald.com. My next guest, after we've been like, talking to each other via via 
LinkedIn, some chat, some LinkedIn chat. My next guest is a proud member of the sorority, Delta Sigma Theta. She's a board-certified pediatrician, independent health advocate, TED Talk extraordinaire, author, and the CEO of Your GPS Doc, LLC. Prior to launching her company, Dr. Rochester enjoyed a 17-year career in clinical and academic medicine. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, Dr. Nicole Rochester. Hi, thank you so much. I'm so honored to be on your show. Well, thank you. you know, I was letting everybody know we was like chit-chatting via LinkedIn. You know, she said she she was happy. Most I told, I'm very happy to have you on my show too. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. So, where are you based at right now, Doctor? I live in Maryland, just outside of D.C. I'm a Maryland native. I'm mm-hmm. a Prince George's County resident all my life. Okay, cool. So when I when I reading your bio, reading your title, it just said enjoyed a seventeen year career in clinical and academic medicine. What exactly is academic medicine? Academic medicine is when you are involved in teaching and and research. So I was responsible for um, teaching pediatric residents and also medical students during their pediatric rotation, and also had the opportunity to publish a couple of papers. So that's really what, what distinguishes academic medicine. And then clinical medicine is, of course, just the everyday providing care right. to patients. So I was blessed to have the opportunity to do both. Right. And it's really important about it. Now, when you, when, you, when you get into that TED Talk environment, what exactly is your um, point of view when you're doing a TED Talk? Yeah. So I, I, my TED Talk really focused on our broken health care system. Right. And, you know, I'm sure all of your listeners are intimately familiar with the fact that our health care system is broken, but I really wanted to approach it from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after caring for my dad and really seeing the health care system up close and personal from the other side, I was really struck by what I found to be a lack of connection. And so that's really what my TEDx talk focused on is, this whole concept of being invisible, how patients and their family caregivers are really invisible in healthcare settings, and just the importance of reconnecting and establishing what I call a 90-second encounter, where at the beginning of every single encounter, doctors and patients just connect. Before you start asking me questions about why I'm there or what's hurting, just talk to me. Ask me about my day. Ask me about my summer vacation or my kids or my husband. And that's just a way to really just open up the door to an authentic relationship. So that's what my TEDx talk was about. Right. It's really interesting because I'm a small business owner and as a small business owner, one of the uh, healthcare is one of the number one things that um, any employee or or potential employee or current employee employee wants to talk about, you know, what type of Mm -hmm. health plan. And of course I want to have a health plan as well. So, so when you look at all these different things, there are different levels when you start talking about health care. You talk about a person who you want to employ, like my mom who recently passed. It was about, you know, 24-hour health care because, you know, she didn't want to go to a facility. She wanted to stay at a home. So it was trying to find individuals or, or people or hiring people and depending on your, your relatives to be able to take care of that 24-hour clock. So there's so many different layers. When you talk about a broken health care system, there's so many different layers where you can stop and start talking. Like you talked about your father, I'm talking about my mom. But I also have to talk about people who are employed and, and how the system keeps shifting and how much an employee is going to pay and commit to the plan. Yeah. Is, is that plan going to be valuable based on the deposits and the, 
and the and the prescriptions and the and the, 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 the office visits and all that. So it really just just starts just evolving into a a, a whole layer of confusion. So when you were talking about it, did you just did you specifically talk about the age of what your father was at, or just just or did you just talk about the whole concept of the broken system? And in, in the TEDx talk, I really spoke you know, about my personal experiences caring for my dad. Mm-hmm. But then the bigger picture was really just the broken healthcare system in general. But but I agree with what you said. You know, it being a caregiver for my dad, uh, he passed away when he was sixty nine. Right. Mm-hmm. And just seeing the differences in how you know I'm a pediatrician. So right. We rally around our patients, and everybody is, you know, they will do their absolute best to save a child. And so that was really my perspective, and I really felt like with the elderly, they don't enjoy that that same type of benefit. And in many cases, they are kind of written off by healthcare professionals. And so I really had to, you know, spiritually and strongly advocate for my dad, and you probably experienced the same thing. Absolutely. With your mom, sometimes they're just they're discounted, and I think some healthcare professionals assume, well, they're older, you know, they're they've already lived their best years, and so often it's the family caregiver that has to be the one to stand up in that exam room, in that hospital room, and and really advocate for their loved one. Well, you know what happens is it's about the uh, we have to put in the role of physicality of taking care of somebody who's older versus taking care of a child or somebody in teenage years who physically. You can move them around a lot better, you know. When you mm-hmm. get, you you're dealing with weight, you're dealing with uh, individuals that you have to you have to be even more careful than you are often with a teenager or a young child. Basically, if they're suffering the same the same situation, and also the number one problem with older people, they will not tell you the truth. They Very won't, true. <laughs> they will they won't they won't tell you if they're in pain. They won't tell you if they need to go to the restroom. They won't tell you anything. They will sit there. And out of pride, uh, dealing yes. with those issues, and you have to find out, and it, it's kind of hurtful because guess what? You have to find out at the last minute. And so, because the number one thing that we're dealing with a lot of times is really in the public's eye is dementia and how that yeah. can become so uh, crippling to a person that you respected, they were, whether it could be a school teacher, they could be a, a corporate exec, and then you look at them now and they're childlike and they're emotionally. Uh, uh, outbursts that you really can't control or deal with. So it really is a, a, a tragic situation we're dealing with. And so I wanted to bring you on the show because it affects, when you're talking about people who, small business owners or people who are trying to uh, deal with their daily life, you don't see this coming. You don't see the breakdown of uh, of the of the parent because of the fact yeah. that they've been so strong all your life, they've been leaders all your life. And then when it comes to you, it can be quite shocking. Because oh yeah, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, it's it, oh I absolutely agree. It's it's very difficult. I mean, like you said, you, you in some ways the relationship becomes reversed, you know. And it was very difficult with my dad. I mean, that was my dad. He was my protector, you know. He mm-hmm. was this strong black man. Right. And then you know, as I watched him become more and more ill and become weak. You know, then I had to be the one to protect him. And my sisters and I had to be the ones to make sure that his, you know, best interests were met. And, and that's, it's very difficult to watch your parents transition to that role where they need you. And it was very difficult for him as well. You know, right. they, they don't like it. Like you said, they, they don't really want, well, they, they know they need the help, but they don't want to admit it. 
Mm-hmm. And they don't want to be a burden. My dad often said that to my sisters and I, you know, I don't want to be a burden on you all. So it, it's a very difficult situation. And most people find themselves in that family caregiver position very abruptly. You know, one day you're living out your life and then the next day something happens and you suddenly find yourself having to care for a loved one. And there's no preparation for that. We don't learn about this in school. So it can be very challenging. Well, because, you know, when you start looking at life, it's really interesting. I, that's why I wanted to bring it on your show. We're also going to talk about uh, your GPS doc LLC. But I just wanted to talk about, just slow everybody down, because when we're talking about retirement, we're just talking about us. You know, we don't talk about, you know, uh, people talk about living life, six, save money six months in advance. But nobody says save money six months in advance for your mom and dad. You know, mm-hmm. nobody says that in any book, any, any retirement book, nobody says that they just say, because, but that is, a, that is a growing issue because we live longer and we have to do, and it's, and it's much more, uh, an open issue. And like I said, uh, putting and just putting, uh, people in retirement homes and you look at the way that can be, but like I said, the, the, because of the fact it's 24 hour care, that can be a major, major issue. And even if you have a big family. Cause I come from Ruby. Oh yeah. And that doesn't it's mean issue. that doesn't mean that they're available. <laughs> <laughs> you got that right. Be, hey, I got weekends. I got weekends. I, I, I can't show up over there on Tuesday night. You know, you know, it's like, okay. So, and I, and I say that honestly, because we got to start thinking about that process now, because you can watch all these great commercials on TV about retirement. You can watch all these saving money, but they never talk about that hidden that hidden debt or that hidden inconvenience. I'm going to say the word inconvenience because when it happens, it's an inconvenience because you're not ready for it. You're not ready it for is. it. You're not ready That's to give so up your true. time. You're not ready to give up the money. You're not ready to give up the commitment. And when it happens, it's rather shocking. And it also calls on you or questions your, questions your faith, whether you're selfish, whether uh, I don't have time for this. It's a lot of things that starts getting wrapped up into that whole process. And I just felt that, you know, as, as a person who talks about, money-making conversations, talk about business, talk about planning that model for success. This part of the plan gets left out a lot. You are absolutely right. And, and many times it's the caregiver that's shouldering a lot of the financial responsibility. You know, when you're like your mom needing 24-7 care, that's not covered no. by Medicare no. or by traditional health insurance. And a lot of family members don't know that. So it really does need to be part of our retirement plan. I absolutely agree. You know, even as a pediatrician, we don't prepare our patients for that transition <laughs> <No>. to college. <laughs> and so as I was preparing my daughter, I thought, okay, everybody needs this information. And so I wrote Healthcare Navigation 101 to really serve as a guide, not just for college students and college-bound students, but also for their parents. Um, and it just talks about things from communicating with doctors, and that's probably the biggest chapter. And I go step by step of the question that the doctor is going to ask you and give them some tips on how to communicate effectively. We talk about health insurance and some of the uh, issues that come up when you are out of state and how some people may not have access Absolutely. to those health insurance benefits. Mm-hmm. We talk about mental health, um, sexual health, and, and really and the book is just a great resource to really prepare students for that transition. And there's really no other place that I have found where we they get We have 30 seconds left, Ms. Rochester. How can we get it, Dr. Rochester? How can we get that book? It is available on Amazon, Healthcare okay, cool. Navigation 101. 
Dr. Rochester, I want to thank you for calling my show. Can, I, can you come back on my show? Because as you see, I, I've, I've, I've tuned in and you've tuned in to my listeners and, and what they need to hear because I really want to start a campaign about that awareness that, that the elderly, that you will become elderly one day and it should be part of your conversation, retirement conversation. Rashawn McDonald, Money oh, Making Conversation. Love it. Thank you, ma'am. Money Making Conversations continues online at www.moneymakingconversations.com.